Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, what an edition of the Gegen Pod we've got lined up. Mark Schwarzer, Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen with their live reaction as we read out the Socceroos squad for their final match in Australia before heading to the World Cup in Qatar. No Premier League at the weekend. We break down what that unexpected interval could mean for the likes of Liverpool, Man United and some of the strugglers. Thomas Tuchel is out and Graham Potter is in at Chelsea. We've got Champions League results and we look at the start of the WSL season and the latest in La Liga as well. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get into the Gegenpod. Yes, the first team is back in action on the Gegen Pod. Whether they've been cycling or just enjoying a bit of a holiday or some football, we have Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges on the Gegen Pod. Thomas, we need to start with you. Your cycling expedition. How did it go? Give us the rundown of where you've been and what it was all about. Yeah, no, I was uh, fortunate to do a, a small cycling uh, trip from Barcelona to Rome. Um, amazing. <laughs> small. Why is that? How, when has that ever been constituted as being small? Seriously? Hey, hey I rode 6,000 kilometers across America, mate. So, uh, you know, oh. this, is a, this is just a little weekend trip. Now, we, we, we had a great trip. I managed to uh, do a little sightseeing uh, around the new camp in Barcelona, which was nice. Uh, sadly, I missed a couple of games in Italy. We were just uh, a day too uh, too early. Um, but other than that, fantastic trip, hot weather. Um, yeah, enjoyed it fully. Great to be back, though. Uh, how are you feeling? Do you bounce back straight away, <laughs> or do you need a couple of weeks to recover? You know, the thing with this is actually the beginning that's hardest. You know, it, it's getting into it. Riding, we we did about 130 kilometers a day. So so that's the tough bit on day three, day four. But then actually your body just get, gets used to it and um, the soreness goes away and it, it, it funnily enough, gets easier as, as you go along. So I, I feel pretty good. It's more the jet lag now coming back to Australia. That's the problem. Great to hear. Mark Schwartz, it's great to see you back as well. We may as well get into our best and worst of the weekend. And it was a bit of a different weekend. So what was your best moment of the weekend? I mean, I was literally in a car all weekend driving down to Spain. So that's probably my best of the weekend, actually making it all the way down to Spain, having a great time, and uh, finally being in a fantastic part of the world. Uh, the uh, jet-setting <laughs> ways of our Gegenpod uh, hosts, whether it's uh, on the road, on a bike. Michael Bridges, your best moment of the weekend? Well, it certainly wasn't cycling because I can't stand cycling because I get a sore arse. It's definitely not travelling as far as Swarty because I haven't got the money to travel like he has. So my highlight of the weekend, I'm going to take it to the Serie A match and it was Juve, the last nine minutes of their match. It was absolute bedlam. There was red cards, there was goals, there was VAR and I just thought it was absolutely amazing. The final seals when Milik thought he'd scored the winning goal for Juve after coming back from 2-1 down and scoring two goals in the last minutes of the game it was just great to watch and it was great to see a leg we so animated on the sideline but it was absolute bedlam and with no football on in England that was the the main standout moment for me for me I'll take it to uh, Mark Swartz's uh, home country uh, but, uh, the Bundesliga in Germany I think Union Berlin being top of the Bundesliga is uh, 
uh, the top story for me. I think what Wash Fisher has, do, has done there, um, you know, winning at Cologne the weekend, being unbeaten, you know, from where they come from in, in the second Bundesliga now, the third season, um, you know, up. I think it, it's a tremendous rise uh, that they have achieved. Um, so for me, that's that's the highlight of the weekend. Well, rather than ask for your worst moment, there was, of course, a, a sadness uh, this weekend with the Premier League and all English football postponed. And that is, of course, due to the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, and now we're going to see football come back sporadically. Mark, was it the correct decision for all football in the UK to take a break this weekend as part of the mandated mourning period? Mm. Um, look, I, I think in England it was inevitable, or certainly in Great Britain. I think that was always going to be the case. Um, when you've had, obviously, the Queen of England, who's been reigning as the Queen for over 70, or just over 70 years, completely understand it. Um, and obviously, for football fans, diehards, obviously, it's a little bit disappointing not to have played football, but I think it's completely understandable as to why no games went ahead. Yeah, it was a moment in history that some of us have never, never ever witnessed before. Um, I was just saying there to Swarty um, before we got on, we were having a chat and just saying how it, it's an incredible, the, the, you know, what, what the Queen had done, her reign, the uh, the culture over here and how many people admire this woman because she never broke any rules as such. She was an impeccable woman. She led the countries um, by example and she's going to be very, very sadly missed and I think it was very fitting that... For Football did come to a standstill for this moment to see um, a moment in history. Because, I mean, I, I, my kids really enjoyed seeing the chain, not obviously seeing... Um, say, even about, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? About it seeing the, or even the Queen die. Really enjoyed it? No, no, not enjoyed, but the, the moment of seeing the King being announced and what it went through, it, went, it was almost like going back in time to witness how how much they, they, they did their thing. So it was it was fitting. Obviously, like Swartz said, the football... Um, people that love watching it week in week out it just had to come to standstill for a main reason because um, it was a, a massive moment in history I don't quite agree I, I think um, you know why should we not celebrate uh, her life why can't we celebrate it with cheers and you know it, it could have been done you know really respectfully around games I think you know the passion and and the the you know the national feel that that fans have for their clubs and obviously for the Queen and for England, you know why couldn't you have tied that in respectfully around the Premier League, uh, around football in general? I, I I just don't get why we we sort of have to sit in a corner and 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 sulk and and why can't we why can't we do it in a positive way? I think it could have been I mean, done. I, I agree with you. With, there, with there national been done anthem, massive issue. Massive issue is the policing over here for the amount of police that were involved in what has been going on for, and it's still going to affect the games going this weekend um, with Manchester United and Leeds United game being cancelled and um, some of the games in London. So that it's you know there was there was a bigger picture um, yeah, about okay. everything, and it got us a chance to enjoy La Liga a little bit this weekend rather than the Premier League, didn't it? Other than the fact that Cardiff <laughs> lost at home to Barcelona, Owemobile five games, five losses. I need to have a chat with him because he lives five minutes up the road from my house. I'm going to get together with him, have a chat with him, and say to him what the hell is going on at Cardiff. Oh, I bet he can't wait for that. Blooming I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, we will get to La Liga, but Bridgie, you've touched on there. Due to the police shortage, Chelsea versus Liverpool this weekend and Leeds versus Manchester United are both postponed, as is Brighton versus Crystal Palace, but that is due to a train strike. How disruptive is this going to be? And also the fixture knock on effect, given that we already had a pretty compressed season with the World Cup break right in the middle. It's. It, 
uh, after coming off the back of COVID, uh, this new problem compounded by the World Cup just uh, it keeps adding up, doesn't it? certainly does it was interesting having a chat with a couple of people from Leeds United Football Club today they were saying you know the makeup games they've got a perfect opportunity um, you know the, the League Cup situation FA Cups depend on what obviously how far um, the clubs go in their cup competitions um, they were saying Leeds United were saying that one game can be slotted in nicely but obviously the backlog of the second game as well hasn't helped um, and it just means obviously with the, with the World Cup intervention as well they, there is going to be an enormous disruption but they will find a way you know the, the games will come thick and fast and the players will want the games Taylor the only people it has really helped is the lads that have been injured um, they've, they've had an extra some of the players that have been been at, um, at clubs that have had an injury maybe two or three weeks it's given them an opportunity to get themselves back so there is like a, a bit of a positive and a shining light on that from a selfish point of view for some of the players that are after game time um, but the teams that have had momentum going into the start of this season it's just disrupted it completely early in the season you know you, you just want to play games 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 and I think when you get to January February that, that's when especially in England you, you need for a the break, break. Yeah, you're looking for, oh, can we just get a week off or something? But, 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 but here, all the breaks are in the first half of the season. So, so that's my, you know, my, my worry for it is it's, it, it's going to be an issue. It's a ploy. It's a ploy by the English uh, uh, Premier League just to make sure the English team are ready to go come the World Cup, play as few games as they possibly can. No excuses anymore. No excuses. No excuses anymore. Hard <laughs> Premier League season. Can't. Oh, of course, they're not going to win it. Now Bridgie can always sing the whole way through the tournament. It's coming home. Oh, and geez, it certainly did with the Lionesses. There you go. <laughs> well, Finally got to sing team, it for a reason. That's the only team you can sing it with. <laughs> Who, who do you think will be the winners and losers out of this break? So no games this weekend for Liverpool, Man U, and then, of course, the international break. Is it Manchester United bad for them because they'd finally started to unlock some good form under Eric Ten Hag? Or is this what Liverpool need, given that they had Champions League just this morning and now they get a bit of a break to try and recalibrate and fix their league form? Yes, for both. Absolutely. I, I, I think for both of them, they'd be thinking, you know what? I would have rather have uh, played games. Uh, certainly for for Manchester United, they would have continued wanted to continue one. For Liverpool, it's a little bit of that case. I think of right, we've got a little bit more time to work on the training field to make sure that we get things right. Because let's be honest, they've been way off the mark. Liverpool, they, they've not lived up to expectation. There's a lot of question marks about the way they've been playing uh, so far this season. So you know what? I think tonight's result uh, was a big result for them to win in the Champions League. Um, I think, though, they want to take a little bit of time to get things right and make sure they get their season underway, certainly domestically. Well, let's get to the big story that broke about 12 hours after we recorded the Gegen Pod last week, which was Thomas Tuchel sacked by Chelsea. By Friday, Graham Potter was in from Brighton and Hove Albion. Chelsea paying the release clause for him, which was about uh, £16 million, I think. Uh, Bridgie... Thomas Tuchel's time is over. That feels like a long time ago now. Weeks a very long time in football. Graham Potter's in. What do you make of the week Chelsea's just had? Do you know what it is? I still can't get my head around it. I know there was three games um, that they hadn't got a result in. And watching their Champions League match, they did everything but score a goal. Um, it, it was just incredible to, to witness and to think that he's... I, I still feel um, totally 
bewildered by it. And obviously Swartz has been there and played there and understands the club. I, I still, I thought his letter, I think it came out of the blue for Thomas Tuchel when he, when he mentioned, um, you know, he was absolutely devastated. He didn't see it coming. You don't know, however, what's going on in the inner sanctum with some of the players and what they like with Tuchel. They still didn't look as dynamic as they have done in previous um, seasons under him. Uh, but I think they've got an absolute diamond of a, of a coach now because Graham Potter was one of the managers that I had penciled in for a replacement to Gareth Southgate um, when England job comes up available the job that he does seems to just be a constant and he, you know it's going to be fantastic to see him um, what he can do with the Champions League team with all these big egoed players that are you know at the highest level how he can handle that in his management style and what kind of um, what changes he's going to make to the system after Tuchel the best thing about Graham Potter was that he's never been to a Champions League game, so his first event is going to be managing Chelsea at a Champions League. He said it in his press conference, didn't he, uh, today? It's mad, he's isn't never, it? never, ever been to a Champions League game. And they've so got rid of a Champions League manager that won it. I know. So it's incredible. I also... I, look, I was surprised at how quickly they moved on getting rid of Thomas Tuchel. The only thing I can say is, I, I agree with what Bridget's saying as well, it was alarming how 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 much or how badly the former changed for Chelsea and so all you can go by is that internally there must have been a belief that either the players were no longer with the manager he'd lost belief um, and therefore a change was very very necessary um, but it is pretty strange so quickly after the transfer window spending so much money and I'm sure that Thomas Tuchel had a, quite a bit of say in the type of players that came to the club as well Graham Potter very good manager has coached very very well at Brighton took some time though at Brighton to get things right to get Brighton playing as well as they have and this season seemed to be the season where Brighton may have uh, I think turned a few heads in the way that they've played and how how far they could have gone and the difference at Chelsea he won't get the same time as he did at Brighton so Interesting times ahead. Yeah, I think it stems a little bit from, I think, probably Tuchel not uh, seeing eye to eye with, with the new owner, Top Boyle. I think, uh, you know, at He's least that's... He's got a bit of past history with that, Tommy, hasn't he? He had a similar thing happen yeah, at PSG. Uh, uh, he had his PSG, yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's... It's always tough when, when that happens. A new owner potentially wants his own. Um, but, but, you know, the history talks against uh, Graham Potter getting you know four or five years to get this right and build his own like he's he's done at Ostersons in Sweden and he, he's obviously done it at Brighton um, but then you look at what uh, Tobol uh, has done with the Dodgers and, and he's kept the manager there or the, the head coach for, for, for a long time even though they've struggled in, in, in certain periods so so it, it sort of Bodes well for him in some way, but I agree with with Swartz here. I think the you know, English media, the pressure from the fans, we're just in an era, especially when you're a top team, that you, you haven't got time. He has to produce from the first off. Uh, we saw it at Man United, the pressure is on straight away if you don't get results. <laughs> so, uh, so he needs to hit the ground running. For sure. Graham Potter will be quite fine because if he doesn't hit the ground running and he gets sacked, he can buy a house just as big as Mark Swartz's down the road from him because he will be absolutely rolling in it now. Uh, at, le- at least the West Wing. At least the West Wing he can buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, it's great that you mentioned uh, Potter's time at Ostersund, though, because that's what put him on the map. He beat Arsenal at the Emirates yeah. in the Europa League, even though they went out of the yeah, tie. Yeah, who wasn't beating Arsenal on, on that time, let's be honest. Yes, yeah. fair enough, Shorty. But, um, uh, Mark, I wanted to ask, 
So Potter's got this reputation as a culture changer. He established it at Austin. He brought it to Swansea. That's why Brighton hired him to replace Chris Hutton. How much does the manager change the culture? But then how much does the club change the manager? That tug of war, how is it going to work at a club like Chelsea? Yeah, that's the big question. The only thing I'd say is that under new guidance, under new ownership, potentially there's a chance to mould the whole club into a different direction, right? So under the pre- previous regime, I would have said absolutely no chance. That was not going to change. They had a system in place. They ran it in a certain way, and it was results-based. It was trophy uh, delivering trophies, and if you didn't, then basically not long afterwards you were out the door. I think now there's an opportunity potentially, and one would hope that by appointing Graham Potter, you have the understanding that, look, it's about changing culture, about changing a style of football, and that may take a little bit of time, and you've got to be prepared to take the, 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 um, I suppose, the the period of time where things may not go quite to plan. However, you've got to believe in the project. I, I, I don't know. If someone spent so much money like they have at Chelsea, the questions are, do they want an immediate return? Do, are they going to go along the same sort of lines as the previous regime? I'd like to hope not when you make that decision to bring Graham Potter in the club. I was to throw this open to the floor. Um, can you remember an instance where a manager, a new manager's come in and has turned the club upside down before your eyes? I think there's two clubs that stand out for me personally, Liverpool and, and Man City. I mean, Guardiola and Klopp, I think they they turn the clubs on, on their head yeah. in recruitment, in work ethic, in direction and, and um, professionalism. I think the two of them changed it completely, both those clubs. Yeah, I think Klopp also, what you're saying, that's what Klopp got it as well with the fans. He'd come from the, you know, the yellow wall in Dortmund. You understand what the cop was all about and it was it was instant, like you see, he, to win them over as well as the player side. I've been involved here in a lot of clubs uh, with well, I've seen a lot of clubs before Swartzy gives us grief, yes, and see managers come and you've seen a manager try and do that kind of thing and it didn't work. Bringing in new rules and regulations and trying to stamp the authority down and the the, the manner that it was done was done in the wrong way. And then you've seen other managers that will embrace it. They'll listen to the players that are there, uh, the leadership groups or the senior players to see how it's gone before, what's worked well, what hasn't worked well, and take a bit more of a a, a buy-in from from some of the players and the coaching staff that are already there and that I find I found that that was an easier transition rather than coming in and really having a go because when you try and change a culture completely and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about playing style I'm, I'm talking about everything as a collective you know new rules no newspapers in in um, the physio department and things like that it, it it can really rub players up the wrong way and get the get you an instant dislike uh, and I've, so it depends how you approach that and handle it it's it's all about the the the, the building relationships I would say these days rather than trying to be a dictator just quickly I think Man United is an interesting one as well because Man United tried like, try to stay along the same lines with Moyes got rid of him brought um, Van Gaal in and he tried to change everything and it was such a big club and it's such a big change it didn't really work yeah no, I, I think it, it shows that that culture is in, in, in modern sport not just football but any sport and if you want sustained success I think you you, you know, it, 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 a lot of it stems from, from the right people in charge, not just managers, but also owners and, and sporting directors the whole way through. That everyone is on the same page. And so I think from, from Chelsea, Chelsea's perspective, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the right thing in, in trying to build it. But, but again, they need to follow through. Now they've given him the reins potentially with and, and everything that you hear is that it's a longer term plan. 
they need to follow through and, and believe in that project. Let's talk about the club at Graham Potter left, Brighton and Hove Albion. Ange Postacoglu actually opened the betting market as favourite to the job, but he's now blown out to 12 to 1, depending on where you look. Kettle Knutsen, the manager of Bodo Glimt, who had that pretty amazing conference league run that involved beating Roma in the group stages, he's now the new favourite. Interestingly, Nottingham Forest's Steve Cooper is 4 to 1. Other names on there Nathan Jones, Brendan Rogers, Scott Parker, Sean Dyche, of course. Bournemouth still haven't replaced Scott Parker permanently yet either. So uh, this manager race to become the new man in charge at Brighton, given the reputation of the club and the overall project that Graham Potter has been the beneficiary of, you'd think it'd be a pretty attractive gig. What, for Ange to go when he's playing Champions League football? Yeah, no, no, I, I understand that. And I understand why Ange wouldn't want to go there. However, in terms of the way they play football, that would be a perfect fit, yeah. Ange trying to play foot like playing the way football he wants to play he would take Brighton to another level the quick obviously from what I understand is a lot of reports are suggesting that Ange turned it down and said he doesn't want the job because he wants to stay at Celtic which I completely understand completely. I think if Ange is going to leave Celtic he's going to leave for a far bigger club than Brighton think how hard he worked to win that Scottish title last season to get Celtic back into the Champions League and have a go against Real Madrid and actually go toe-to-toe with them in the first half of the Champions League I think Ange will see the bigger picture because he's a smart man playing against teams like that in Europe and showing what your team can do without being a defensive unit and, and sitting with 11 players behind the ball he's going to get far more recognition for his next opportunity which will be no disrespect to Brighton a bigger football club than Brighton and he will he'll take that opportunity but he always likes to finish his business and I think he'll finish his Champions League campaign before he does and the other one I was going to just mention there if it was going to be Nottingham Forest manager Cooper there's only time that he will go is in January so he can sign another 26 players for Brighton so you can count him <laughs> out as well <laughs> Yeah, no, I think for, 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 for Ange as well you, you, you said as well Bridget he's worked so hard to get in this position I think also you get to a point where you got to enjoy the success as well like he's 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 in a great spot now I think sometimes you know you can think that the grass is greener on the other side and you know is he moving for money and is it potentially a Thomas better decision not a, it's not a no-brainer right Thomas is not a no-brainer so if it's a Man United Chelsea or yeah of course Arsenal, no I get that right? I yes. get that but but yeah. but Brighton I think you know that this is what we're talking about I think you know it's better to enjoy what he's built at Celtic right at this moment yeah. than go to Brighton yeah and he's also seen the culture there and the size of the club and what Celtic football clubs around not just in Scotland but around the world globally he's realised what it, what it is and I think he's really enjoyed enjoying it and enjoying the ride and the journey and long may it continue because he knows I don't think Ange is a money hungry man and he knows that success will come off the back of what he does with Celtic yeah the money will come absolutely yeah. and I agree with you and he believes in his own ability and he always has he's always been incredibly confident of his own ability and I agree he will not leave Celtic until it's one of the big ones and I think he will stay at Celtic potentially for a lot longer based on the fact that unless someone like, certainly in the Premier League, say one of the top six, seven teams in the in the country come come in for him, then it may be a different question. But until such time, I think he'll stay. Well, selfishly, Swarty, I hope he's still there because I'm meant to be going up to interview him this week or next week. So if he's not there, then I've lost a bit of work. So. I think you're safe, mate. Yeah, I think you're safe. I, I, I think you're all right. I'll ask him the question. <laughs> 
Thomas, if Kettle Knutson gets the job, that'll be a, a Norwegian manager coming in. We've got Thomas Frank, the Dane, who's at Brentford. Uh, Ostersons, of course, in Sweden, was Graham Potter's training and proving ground. Is this a revival of the Scandinavian manager? I think sort of late mid-90s, late-90s, that's when there was a huge influx of the Scandinavian influence into English football and out into global football. So are we seeing that have a revival or are we just not, haven't been paying attention and now maybe just some higher-profile jobs are starting to get landed? Oh, I think the uh, the Scandinavian managers have been at the forefront of, you know, just a modern style of coaching. I think, uh, you know, just being more people involved, more personality involved. I think what Thomas Frank and, and also you look at Graham Potter, he's obviously had his influence there. And from what I hear with Kjetil Knudsen, uh, I think, you know, he's done a similar job at, at Bodo Glimt. You know, he, he's won the league a couple of times, manager of the year and obviously the success in the Conference League. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems to be great man managers that, that has a, a very uh, distinct philosophy of, of building, you know, culture. I think what Thomas Frank has done at, at, um, at Brentford is a good example and, and, and Potter as well. Uh, so I think potentially Knudsen could be a good appointment. I think he would fit in. I'm not too aware of his playing style, but, but uh, as, a, as a man manager and something that can, that can follow on from Potter, I think potentially he could be a good signing. Let's flip it around to managers that might be uh, heading for the exit. Uh, Brendan Rodgers. Last week, Bridgie, we spoke at length about uh, how he might be on the walking the plank. And you even said you wouldn't be surprised if uh, it was announced in the next week or two that he might go. So no games at the weekend. Is it a stay of execution, though, because Leicester are away at Spurs this weekend? Will this be Brendan Rodgers' final game in charge? Um... The difference, I think Rogers is going to see it out. I think he, if he was going to resign, he would have done it by now after the window for the terrible recruitment that they didn't bring in and let go. I think he's just sitting there to hopefully get his, you know, get told that he's no longer required so he can get paid up. That's what he'd be doing, Brendan, because, you know, you think the time and effort he's put into that football club, the success they've had, mm. and sadly what's happened um, since COVID, they've, they've had to sell, and it hasn't been any fault of Rogers. I can't see him doing anything, and I think he's just waiting for that moment for them to say, enough is enough, see you later, thanks for your time. Will they do that? Do the Leicester owners have the money to pay him up? So at the minute, it's, it's like a bit of a cat and mouse situation and we don't know what's going on but there only is one certainty Tottenham have got beaten the Champions League they will bounce back and they will smash Leicester City this weekend the only thing I'd say right is yes Leicester haven't been proactive as we all know in the transfer window right they've lost two very big name players Kasper Schmeichel obviously arguably even more influential than any other player they've lost Fafana obviously a huge talent Um, if you brought in another manager if you look at Leicester City's squad in my opinion, they're far better than being one point after six games. That current squad. That current squad, at the very least, should be mid-table. I don't believe they should be at the bottom of the table right now. They shouldn't be on one point. So the question is, in my opinion, is has Brennan Rodgers' course run its shit? Has, has it run its course? Is it, is it no longer? Has, it, has he got the ability? Oh, the, mar- the, the marriage is over. The marriage is over yeah. for them so, so, on and off the field. For me, the squad is good enough to be a mid-table team at the very least. At the very, very bare minimum. Actually, if anything, I think they should be pushing for a little bit higher than mid-table with the current squad, even though they haven't actually brought in... So why hasn't he been sacked then? Well, Leicester, I think, has a history under this ownership of giving time to actually possibly, sometimes, possibly too much time. You know, one one would argue, right? Um, 
I, I think it's only a matter of time before he's gone because I, I don't see him turning around. I think he lost the players. I think the way he's spoken to the media, the way he's talked about the squad, I think he's lost the change room. And I think it's only a matter of time before he's gone. And I think they have to do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, on my cycling trip, I had a catch up in the southern France, um, and that was what I uh, I heard as well from from someone that was recently at the club. Um, that oh, uh, wonder who that is. Yeah, I wonder I thought, who that is. South I'm not going to mention France. any names. <laughs> But, Danish uh, friend. Ah, <laughs> no, but 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 what came out was that, that that you know since actually the the Man United since he he didn't move on and 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 didn't get that job I think there there was a decline I think his interest uh, I think also with the recruitment and and I, uh, what was said as well is that the dressing room he, he had lost the dressing room I think. He, he's lost his his energy and and that spark that he had early on, I think, uh, is not there anymore. So uh, and and I think you can sort of see that amongst yeah. the players because I agree with you, Swartz. I think you know they have got good enough players to be a lot better than they are now. Hundred percent. So, but, so potentially, it is his final game. Uh, Thomas, I'm glad you had a nice, sorry, a nice time. Uh, now <laughs> let's quickly look through. <laughs> Yeah, d- dad jokes here on the Gegenpod. Um, let's let's quickly whip through the Champions League results. Uh, Liverpool, uh, we already spoke about beating Ajax with a 89th minute winner 2-1. Bridgie, you touched on Spurs losing away to Sporting Lisbon 2-0. So they've now squared off their campaign. Bayern got the better of Barcelona 2-0. Robert Lewandowski missed a heap of chances for Barcelona and his old club, what Bayern, again. Fernandes and Sané scored the goals. Uh Anything grab your attention uh, just briefly from this morning's results? I know we're midway through the Champions League round uh, as we record the pod this morning, but uh, what jumped off the page at you? The Barcelona-Bayern match or the Bayern-Barcelona game was absolutely incredible. It was end-to-end stuff. The the young boy, Pedri, um, for Barcelona is just an absolute genius and a joy to watch. He was on the losing team today. Um, Thomas Muller was the standout um, for for Bayern as well, leading the line at his old age. And Lewandowski just could not score. He had two massive opportunities and it was the goalkeeping union. Neuer was amazing. I loved watching it. Um, I was glad to it uh, and what a game and it was fitting because Bayern Nagelsmann changed it half time he brought on Goretzka and they changed the game completely and the atmosphere sounded incredible so um, that was a huge game Bayern love beating Barcelona don't they absolutely (laughs) absolutely love it Nagelsmann's never been beat when he's played them played them I I didn't have any doubts because I don't think Barcelona is all that and I think look I think Lewandowski is a phenomenal player and his record was at six games now seven games nine goals for Barcelona in all competitions which is pretty phenomenal Um, the interesting thing as well for me after tonight's game is obviously Spurs losing away at Sporting more in that is that Son Hing Min was substituted to 72nd minute and Conte's come out and said he's not untouchable and he hasn't been playing well I think it could all end in tears because obviously Son's a very emotional man and I think the love affair could end very quickly between those two uh, I think we've seen him being a bit unhappy with his substitutions as well and and things are not going his way but yeah like of this morning a couple of surprises I think I didn't expect Leverkusen to, to beat Atletico I think that was a bit of a surprise and then Bruce winning, winning quite comfortably away at that's phenomenal at, Bruce at, at Porto yeah, yeah that, that, I didn't expect that as well so you know so there's some teams that are you know that are doing well and then 
I think it was important for Liverpool to get that late goal. I think, uh, you know, just to to get a bit of momentum and, and sort of stem the flow a little bit. Um, so, um, so yeah, so some significant results, I thought. Can I give a big shout out to an ex-Tottenham player playing against Tottenham today, a lad called Marcus Edwards. At Tottenham Hotspur for four years, went to Norwich on loan and was playing for Sporting against them. Absolute world beater. He looked like he had the balance. I think Pochettino might have said he was the new Messi. I'll tell you what, he never showed a glimpse of that tonight in this season. Phenomenal. Watch out for this kid. No, uh, very, very impressive. Nearly scored a marvellous goal too. One last question before we move off uh, the Premier League teams, and that is Diego Costa coming back to Wolves. Schwartzy, how surprised were you that that's who they've gone for? If if Kalajic hadn't torn his ACL on his Premier League debut, they wouldn't have had to break glass in case of emergency. But Diego Costa, is he the answer? Has he still got it? Look, his record since leaving Atletico Madrid hasn't been great. Um... You know, Diego Costa is an interesting, really interesting character, really good guy, loves to have a lot of fun, but obviously can be very high maintenance, as uh, Antonio Conte found out very much uh, at Chelsea. Um, look, we all know what he was capable of when he was at Chelsea, a phenomenal player, robust, loved to fight, loved to be in people's faces, loved to fight with people, but then could deliver. Um, look, I think he could do a job at Wolves even though it's temporarily, even though it's just a, a bit part player. I think there's potential. It just depends. I look, I haven't seen him play for a number of years. I don't know where his fitness levels. I don't know, has he lost it? Because some players you see sometimes, they've been away for a little bit. They've dropped down a little bit. They've lost it a little bit. They're not quite there anymore. I don't know. But if he can find any of that that ability that he showed at Atletico, at, at uh, Chelsea then he could be an incredibly shrewd signing. But there's a big if. Wolves fans will be absolutely delighted that he managed to get his work permit because there was talk that it could have been Andy Carroll as well. Now, you can't compare the two. I'm sorry, I know I'm from the North East, but please do me a favour. And when Diego Costa was announced, I don't know if any, any of you have seen it, but to the Ooh. listeners as well, the unveiling of Diego Costa four wolves with three <laughs> wolves on metal chains I don't know who was more scared the people that were doing the, the footage to film the wolves or whether, or whether it was Costa who was holding the chains thinking if these dogs turn around they're going to savage me it was brilliant he marketing campaign he? He, said, he said he was never been so scared as holding those wolves is that right it was it was <laughs> yeah. brilliant what a, what a way to announce a player I thought it was absolutely brilliant to watch alright you're listening to the Gagan Pod we've got Mark Schwartz and Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen in the pod today after this quick break we'll talk about the WSL kickoff a little bit of La Liga and then we will get the panel's live reaction as we read out the Socceroos squad to take on New Zealand Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. The WSL, it had to take this last weekend off because of the passing of the Queen, but it is back. Everyone wants to see if Chelsea can defend their title. Of course, Sam Kerr at the spearhead of that. And Mark Schwarzer, you actually caught up at Chelsea's training ground with Sam Kerr not too long ago. I know that the Matildas have been playing in the international window since you had that little chat, but you were focusing on all things football, including Chelsea. And what do you think of... Uh, Sam and Chelsea's prospects of defending their title. Look, I think um, they're in a good, really good position. I, I, I think um, Sam is seemingly as hungry as ever. Um, obviously, always has a point to prove, um, being regarded as one of the best players on the planet. She seemed very comfortable, very assured. And I think, you know, I, I think for the women's game, full stop, it's brilliant how the WSL has. Uh, grown in popularity how the financial rewards for the girls has increased financially like massively and therefore they've it's created a home for a lot of these girls rather than previously like not so long ago when you went through a resume of a girl like their 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 career history i mean they played more at more clubs than the years they played football which is just incredible they often would play at two clubs per season because they've played so few games in each competition, whereas now that's all changed a lot. And um, I think that brings stability. I think it brings the best out of players, and I think we're going to see even better from Sam Kerr moving forward. And I think also Chelsea. Chelsea is certainly going to be, again, one of the teams to beat this season in, in the um, in the WSL. Well, we've got so many Australian connections in the WSL, and you can read about them on the Optus Sport website with some of the written content, of course. But let's just go around the, uh, the panel and get your tip for who you think will win the title this season, whether it's Arsenal, who have, of course, got Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford, but they've got Beth Mead fresh off the Euros, and... Leah Williamson, the England captain. Man United, they finished fourth last season, but not that far back. And they've got the likes of Ella Toon and also Alessia Russo, who were stars at the Euros, and Adriana Leon, who we just saw dominate against the Matildas. Manchester City, they finished third. Mary Fowler, a Matilda, has joined them. And Liverpool, newly promoted. A bit of intrigue because they are trying to bridge the gap to those powerhouse clubs, having finally fought their way back into the top flight. So starting with you, Bridgie, and then Thomas and Mark, who is going to win the WSL this season? Well, it was a quality finish last season. You know, Chelsea and Arsenal finishing one point behind each other. Well, I'm going to take the Man City girls. I'm going to go with Chloe Kelly and the girls. You know, they've got Steph out in there, a couple of the girls, Alex Greenwood, the girls that have had a fantastic Euros. So I think it's going to be a lot more competitive. I'm really looking forward to seeing the challenge that City throw down. The, and I think they're going to have a real good push. And the team I'm really looking forward to seeing this year is Liverpool. They got promoted. They beat Durham City in the division below last season. Durham City are basically a, a team outside of the northeast between Sunderland uh, and Newcastle and Middlesbrough. They obviously got an amateur men's team. They've got the women's team that have had huge success. I know the WSL were delighted and were so happy that Liverpool clinched the title away from them to see Liverpool in the top division. And you know it's going to be going to be interesting to see how they cope this season. So um, to a, a big team coming up, and I'll say City will win it. I am uh, I'm leaning with uh, Chelsea. I think um, it's going to be chances Chelsea Arsenal again. I think Chelsea have made some good signings, especially at the back. I think Buchanan is a good signing for them from Lyon. Um, but but I think the the teams behind them. Uh, you mentioned Man United. I think they have moved closer. Uh, I don't think Liverpool will, will be good enough yet to 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 get into European contention. Um, but then Man City, Man United. Um, so it's, it's going to be a great season. It, it's um, it's going to be a four or five horse race with 
Chelsea is my favourites. Yeah, I don't see much changing. I, I, look, I think Chelsea will be there or thereabouts. I, I, I'm going to go with Chelsea winning the league. However, I'm excited to see Manchester City better this season because of one player particularly. I want to see how well Mary Fowler Mary Fowler, you're going to see it. There you go. Huge, huge yeah. prospect. I think she's a phenomenal yeah. player. And I think, I, look, I think Hayley Rasso, Lana Kennedy has done incredibly well for uh, for Manchester City. Um, and I think, but I think Mary Fowler, for me, I'm really excited about to see how, she, how well she does in WSL. Yeah. However, I still think Chelsea will be slightly too, too good for the rest. Well, that is the WSL. It starts on Saturday morning at 4.30am Eastern Time with Arsenal against Brighton. Let's talk about La Liga now. Real Madrid, uh, if you haven't seen the goals, check out the mini-match or the highlights because after conceding first against Mallorca, they were dazzling in their 4-1 win. Barcelona, 4-0 Cadiz. Mark, you flagged it off the top. You're worried about Cadiz. Five losses from five. No goals scored. Rock bottom. Where to from here? I mentioned earlier I'm going to have a word with Awa. I'm going to get together with him, have some dinner with him and see what the hell is going on because it's not great, is it? Um, look, I thought last season they did incredibly well, Cadiz. They, they punched massively above their own weight. Staying in the league was huge. And I think, again, obviously the same thing applies. They're desperately just trying to stay in the league. Um, they're a club that's a tiny, tiny club that are that have um, that are punched massively above their weight. But it's a tough one; it really is. And I, I, I fear for them losing your first five games is, <laughs> is terrible. It's not, obviously it's the worst start you can absolutely have. Um, I, I can't even say they're five games that you kind of think, well, yeah, okay, they're five really tough teams, but they weren't necessarily. Now, the other big story in La Liga, and this has come through overnight, Atletico played in the Champions League and lost uh, this morning, but Antoine Griezmann and this game of brinksmanship in the farcical situation where he is consistently subbed on after the hour mark so that Atleti do not activate a transfer clause with Barcelona. The latest reporting is that the clause has been negotiated down from about 25 million US dollars to uh, from 40 million US dollars down to 25. So 15 million saving for what that is worth. Is that going to end? The silliness with Griezmann basically only ever getting subbed on for half an hour or less per game. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Because he's such a talent. He's a great player. We all like watching him. And to think that he's being held in this trade embargo in this saga is an absolute shambles. I did actually come across something very similar um, when I was at Leeds United. <laughs> oh my God. Not myself, Swartz. Not God. myself. I was always a sub for a reason. <laughs> no, listen. Nick Barmby was at Leeds United. We signed him. I don't know whether it was from... Um, Everton or was it where did we sign bombs from or Middlesbrough something coming in and I'll never forget there was Peter Reid had taken over and Bombs Bombs was an unbelievable player an unbelievable professional and you're scratching your head thinking why is he not in the squad why is he not this and it wasn't until about six weeks later that Bombs came in he says now I know why I'm not playing lads he says I've got it in my contract that if I play one more match for Leeds United basically they've got to pay um, after so many games they've got to pay another fee well Leeds were going through financial trouble so Bombs couldn't play and he was stuck in a very very similar situation so Peter Reid basically just said to him, listen, we know you're you're living in Hull, but you play for Leeds. Go and spend time at the weekend with your family. So Barnes would go and watch, it was so funny, Barnes would go and watch um, Hull, K, Hull FC Rugby League with his family instead of being at um, Elland Road for, for Leeds United because the manager just said, go and do what you want. You're never going to play for this club ever again because I'm never going to play you. So, yeah, I just hope Griezmann gets it sorted out for his sake and for the you know the people that love watching him. 
Yeah, yeah, no, but when you look at it, you can have absolutely no sympathy with Barcelona. I know they're scrapping and, you know, they put themselves in this situation, you know, with obviously the financial trouble and, and where they are now, you know. So, you know, I feel for Griezmann, he's just been caught up in it and hopefully, you know, they can find a solution quickly. But Barcelona, you know, they've dug themselves into this mess, uh, really. Now, they might need him, Atleti, because they lost to Leverkusen. They weren't great against Porto, but they had a heroic win scoring twice in stoppage time uh, as all three goals came right at the end of the night. So their form's been a bit patchy. We've seen Real Betis get the jump on them in that race, maybe to be best of the rest behind the big two in Spain. And they have the Madrid derby on Monday morning, which is going to be pretty special at 5am. So given the form line of Atleti, uh, Schwartz, do you, do you give them any chance of rolling Real Madrid here or are Real just too hot to trot at the moment? I don't think you can ever write them off in a Madrid derby. I, I, and I think the way that Atletico Madrid is, Diego Simeone, I just don't think you can ever write them off regardless of how bad a season they may be having. And certainly when you talk about Atletico Madrid, being seventh in the La Liga at the moment is not the start they would expect. Um, the thing is, if they were to lose to Real Madrid on the weekend that pressure is just going to get a little bit more more severe on Diego Simone and I think that's been on and off for the last couple of seasons I think now. this is his last season in charge of this club Swartz and I'm going to I'm going to go against you I think they I don't give them any hope against Real this weekend it's just a derby though I know what I you're know, saying I know technically no they don't have a chance but it's a derby and you just you just never know and it's one of those games where you kind of go this is a game that Simeone and Atletico Madrid are going to pull out of somewhere. They're going to get a result that you just kind of don't think is even possible. Well, that game is 5am on Optus Sport on Monday morning, so a perfect way to start your week. Make sure you check that out. All right, we've been holding it until last. The chat about Australians overseas, here in Australia, the Aussie game in general, it's because the Socceroos squad has dropped for the two-game series against New Zealand, the farewell game in Brisbane, and then the game over the ditch in our last two matches before we go to Qatar to prepare for the World Cup. Now, we have not read out this squad to our Gegenpod panellists. We're going to get the reaction live in real time as I run through the names here. Uh, Shout out or stop me if you you feel so inclined to really intervene. This is the 30-man squad that Graham Arnold has announced. Nathaniel Atkinson... Keanu Bacchus from St Mirren, Aziz Bayich, Martin Boyle, Jason Cummings, the cum dog, is in from Central Coast Mariners, Harrison Delbridge, what? the, former, the, the what? former Melbourne City man, the, uh, the Australian raised in uh, America, played, played for FC Cincinnati and then he went to Incheon United who are having a great season in South Korea. Thomas, you would know Harrison Delbridge. Yeah, no, a, a strong, honest defender, I think. Uh, why not? I think, uh, you know, you need alternatives at the back and I think he, he can do a job. Um, he's got his limitations in certain areas, but, you know, I, I quite like it. I was going to say, you're not selling it very well to me, mate. No, no, but, you know, he's not, a, you know, <laughs> he's not world class, but <laughs> he's still a good player. <laughs> uh, Milos Degenek is in, speaking of uh, the MLS. Thomas Deng, just the one cap, so he's back in. He's been playing in Japan. Cam Devlin from Hearts. There's been a lot of calls for him. Yay, hello, finally, yay. <laughs> Shorts, happy about that one? Absolutely. 
About time. Uh, continuing on, Mitchell Duke is in Tyrese Francois on loan, of course, at HNK Gorica in Croatia. So another player that uh, you've kept a close eye on, Mark, that uh, gets his opportunity for a first cap. No, I think he's a hugely a talented young man. Um, the problem is first-team football, right? So as long as he's playing first-team football, I think he's more than capable of, of holding his own. Dennis Jonro remains in the squad. Aiden Hrustic, fresh off his move to Verona. Jackson Irvine in great form for St. Pauli. Fran Karacic is in. Joel King is recalled. We saw his first couple of caps only recently. Garang Kual from the Central Coast Mariners has been called up. Now, that is a big name. He's only about to turn 18. In fact, he turns 18 tomorrow. So what a moment for him. What a birthday present to be called into the Socceroo squad. Absolutely brilliant. There's nothing better than seeing a youngster get his opportunity. And um, fair play. Even if you don't get any game time, you're going there to get experience. Swartzy and Thomas will tell you that when, you know, you see young players come through. And, you, you know, it's all about the experience. And I think that's a, that's a marvellous moment. And fair play to, to, to Graham for selecting him. Continuing on, Matthew Leckie, Awa Mabil, Jamie McLaren, Riley McGree, Connor Metcalf, Aaron Moy, Andrew Redmayne, Trent Sainsbury is there, Matthew Ryan, also Ryan Strain, uncapped from St Mirren at the moment, former Adelaide United man, Adam Taggart, Marco Tilio, Bailey Wright, and then one last name, out of international retirement, Mitch Langerak. Mark Schwarzer, oh, what do you the make goalkeepers' of that? union, let them go. <laughs> uh, look, uh, look, I thought it was a big shame that he was out of the squad or he decided to retire in the first place. I think he's he's very different to what we already have, right? So he brings a bit of variety. So um, I, I think he's one of, and certainly has been. Look, up until Matty Ryan now being a regular at FC Copenhagen. He was the one goalkeeper I felt for Australia who's been playing at a very, very high level and playing consistently very, very well week in, week out and deserved to be at the very, very least number two, if not pushing for number one. So it's great to see him back involved again. Who has changed the mindset of Langerak to come out of retirement? Is that family and friends or is that Graham and his staff? Probably a combination of things. I'm not, you know, look, I, I, I would like to think it's a combination. I'd like to think that he's thought, you know what, it's a World Cup last opportunity last uh, moment of maybe being involved um, when I say last I don't think it could be the last I think he's more than capable of going on and playing another one but in terms of he's already retired once you kind of think right I've come out of retirement maybe this is his he thinks this is his last hurrah or his opportunity of a last hurrah and possibly grandma on saying look at the time, Matty Ryan wasn't playing. He was at Real Sociedad. There was no inkling that it possibly was going to move on. And obviously, that move came last minute. But you never know what's going to happen between now yeah. in, and the World Cup. And you want, all you, you want all your players playing at the highest level. And, I, and look, you want the best players available to you to take to the World Cup. And Mitch Langerak is 100% in that top two it's, it's a plus-plus for everybody involved, for him personally, for the Socceroos, for the fans and for the team because it's competition for places for him and Matt as well. So yeah. I think it's brilliant. For, for me, he's 100% the top two goalkeepers for Australia at this moment yeah. in time, without a doubt. No, I, and again, I, I like it. You need, uh, you need options. I, you know, it's not going to change, you know, the team on the pitch because, uh, you know, you've got Matty Ryan who's going to play um, but yeah I agree so what's he, it's always good to have options uh, things can happen injuries can happen and, and, and you want someone who can go in and do a good job I think what springs out uh, to me is that um, 
What's the Tom Rogic situation? Uh, is there any solution? Are, are we any closer to finding out if, uh, if, if, if he has intentions to play at a World Cup, if there's talks between the two sides? Is he totally out now, meaning that he's not in this squad? Um, I, I feel that intriguing, um, you know, because that's a big question. Well, the great mark. news is, Thomas, he's signed for West Bromwich Albion. Yeah. But and he's hopefully going to get game time before the World Cup. But is he with the right manager? Is he with the right club for that? I, I'm yeah, not too you, sure. But you would still think that he would be in a 30-man squad if if there was any sort of talks going on, especially with him joining West Brom, knowing that he's potentially going to play, play games. Why would you not include him if you were close um, so to me it sort of uh, it put even more question marks around that uh, you know that lead into the World Cup the only thing I would say is Graham Allen knows what he's getting with Tom Robich yeah, so yeah. he's okay. only just signed for West Bromwich Albion so the question is has he said look Graham Arnold has Tommy Rodgers both of them agreed look I know what you can do I know what you bring you go there settle in get your games under your belt yeah. and off we go. Once the squad's announced, you'll be there. Because, look, if Tommy Rogers is fit and raring to go and wants to play for the Socceroos, for me, he's also in that squad going to, to Qatar. It's just whether or not he's ready and wants to do that. That's obviously, you know, that's up to him. That's a pers- very personal decision. But I think for, for the Socceroos, and certainly if he's willing and able and fit, for me, he, he walks into that squad going to the World Cup. All hail Mark Swartz after three years of the gig and pod. That is the most sensible and calculated (laughs) remark has ever come out of your mouth, mate. Very, very good. (laughs) If I can potentially uh, try to get something a bit more uh, inflammatory then. Last week, Mark, we went around the gig and pod and we asked about the Garanquol transfer rumours to move to Europe. Some big clubs attached to him. Barcelona, of course, with that all-stars experience of playing against him, having seen him firsthand with one of the teams mooted. Now... Bridgie, Amy Duggan and Amy Harrison all said go, go in the January transfer window, go as soon as you turn 18. What counsel would you give to Garan Qual, especially if he gets his first cap here, never mind if he plays well and potentially puts himself in the frame to, the go, to go to the World Cup, his price will rise, his hype will rise, what advice would you give? Um, get your head down, don't get sucked in by all the attention, don't let your head get pulled up into the clouds, wherever you go doesn't matter how big a club or how small the club is you've got to keep doing the basics keep doing the right things because we've seen it with young players already who in the past who've left Australia and thought that they'd already made it and got nowhere near it and then after a couple of years ended up falling by the wayside um, just because you're a talent at this age doesn't mean it's going to continue forever so wherever he goes um, I'm, I'm, look, I'm the first person to say go to Europe don't go anywhere else other than Europe. If you're good enough to make it in Europe, that's where you want to be. That's where you need to be. You need to be the best level you possibly can. But you've got to... That's when the real work starts. It's hard enough getting there. It's even harder staying there. You know, I, I would hope that he has uh, the right people around him. I think, you know, because... Yeah, I agree with Swartzy. One thing is your talent. But, but you need to have the mentality to... You know, to get into a tough environment. Um, you know, I, I was around Daniel Lasani when, when he left uh, Melbourne City and I had my question marks around him from a, from a mental perspective um, and, and he's willing to, to sort of roll his sleeves up and, and do the hard yards and put his head down like Swartzy said. Um, so, so, so you would just hope that he has people that can judge that um, and, and guide him the right way 
because some players need a bit more time potentially playing in the A-League for one or two years because eventually your talent will shine through if you're good enough and if you put in the work. Um, but, but yeah, so, so that, that's the big question mark for me because it, it, you're just one among a lot of other talented players when you go to Europe. I think uh, you're right. The right people around him is important, right? But ultimately it comes from you. It's not about the people around you. It's about what you do and the, and the type of mentality that you have and the type of commitment that you have. I, I just find it time and time again, it's too easy to blame the people around him. Like, no, look, yeah, when I know, overseas, uh, I, had no one, I had no one around me. I had no support. They were all from afar. Like when I say no, no support, I had no support right there with me. It, they were all from afar. So it was up to me to make those decisions and, and have the right mentality and the right commitment. And, and ultimately, that's what it comes down. You, you, you've got to take that responsibility yourself. And, and that's the key to me. Yeah, I, I just see, you know, young, too many young players, especially in Australia, they, 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 they come from this protected environment. Um, and they have this, I don't know, corrupted feeling about where they stand and what is actually required. So, so that's, that, that's why I'm saying that you need people around, experienced players, uh, managers, uh, who can then guide you. Because uh, I've seen it time and time again, you know, it's a different environment here. Uh, and, and if you're not, and, and how can you be prepared to go to Europe? Uh, I agree with you, Swartzy. Obviously, it has to come from yourself. You have to have the drive, the determination. But it, it, Australia is different uh, than, than, than Europe. Um, and, and that's my uh, sort of point behind it. One last one on this Socceroos squad, and you dropped his name there, Thomas. Daniel Arzani. I'm guessing if he's not made this 30, as much as he's shown flashes and impressed under our noses here with the Australia Cup run that MacArthur has been on, this probably means that there isn't going to be a chance for him to make another bolt for the World Cup squad. Does anyone think that maybe a MacArthur Australia Cup win or some great A-League form could be enough to force his way back in? Or are we interpreting this as no-go for Daniel Arzani to make it to Qatar? It's looking like a no-go for me, but I would love to think that was an opportunity for him because I, I love the style of play. I love any player that gets me excited, and he used to do that. I know he's had injury troubles. He's gone around. Um, I'm just hoping that there is that glimmer of hope that Arnie will not just shut the door on him and give him an opportunity. Who knows? Look, I think Daniel Zani was rightfully on that, for Russia, was rightly on that plane because of that X factor he had in the A-League, the, yeah. the glimpses that he showed, right? Plan B. But then we're four years down the track and you can't, and I don't think we've seen any of those glimpses. And, and you're right, part of it's because of injuries, but then since then there's been more than that, right? So there's all these different question marks as to why he is where he is right now. And going back to Australia, you can't put on two or three months of decent football than expect to be called up for the national team. However, between now and the World Cup squad being announced and going to the World Cup, there is still time. But he's got to put his foot down and he's got to play out of his skin to justify any chance of being selected. So I'm not ruling it out, but at this stage I'm saying unlikely because his track record speaks volumes since yeah. being at the World Cup in Russia. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Swartz, that he's got a chance. But, but uh, we always got to remember that Arnie had him at the Olympics as well. And I think the, the positives and the frustration that he showed there of obviously his glimpses of magic, which we all know he has, uh, but then his lapses of concentration, not tracking back, not, not 
you know those things that his game has been lacking I think he showed there and that's I think that's the question mark that Arnie has can, can he trust him uh, you know, not just to do a, a five ten minute uh, job but, but can he actually be trusted in, in a vital situation at a World Cup yeah but that's his job now to mm, prove sure. it right so it's his job now to prove any of those doubts to to go out there perform week in week out and put himself in the shop window that's ultimately what he's doing we all agree uh, an Arzani that is on top form deserves to be there because we all admire what he's got to offer but this is what we've seen four years ago right so yes. we've not seen much of it or very little since then so it, it, look I, for me it's a massive outsider and he has to be outstanding between now and the World Cup to have any chance of being in that squad one last topic for us on the Pod. just a quick one Sydney United making it into the Australia Cup final. Mark Schwarzer, as a Marconi man, uh, barely a, a stone's throw away over at Adenza Park. It was one of the great afternoons for Sydney United to beat the Brisbane Roar. They've already knocked off Western United to make it through. If you're listening to this on Wednesday night or after Wednesday, you'll know who they're playing in the final, whether it's MacArthur or the Oakley Cannons. But uh, what about this result? I mean, the nostalgia is always in overdrive when the Australia Cup's on, but this was a really good footballing performance too. Sydney United obviously in the final and there's Oakland Cannons against Mark Carthur FC. Do I want Sydney do I want Sydney United to win the FA Cup? No. Because they're like our rivals at Marconi. So no, do I want them to win? No. So Oakland Cannons or MacArthur FC, please win the FA Cup. Mark just uh, huffing the copium. All right, um, Schwartzy, uh, thank you. Uh, Thomas, I mean, you've you've seen the Australia Cup. You've played in it firsthand. Did you see a day like this coming where we would finally have an NPL team in the final and we could potentially have two? Yeah, let, let's see if Oakley Cannons can, uh, you know, they're playing at home against, uh, you know, the A-League side. So uh, that's another chance. Uh, you know, I think it's always been... In the cards, I think the the way the 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 cup is structured in the off season for the A League teams, they're not quite there. It, it's always been a little bit favoured, but I think it's a great story, um, you know. And this is what the cup uh, needs. And and I think, you know, now we have this talk about a second division, and you know, so hopefully it can sort of spur things on. I think give it give it a bit of momentum because, you know, we we, we need something um, more to happen, you know in Australian football in general and, and hopefully some of these results can just you know pop up on everyone's screens and 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 you know give the cup as well a, a bit of momentum and a bit of magic and of course that's what it was designed for and brought in you know the FA Cup in England as we all know anybody can win it that's what the FFA Cup was done in Australia and it, I just thought it was fantastic to see the quarterfinals you know you had Oakley Cannons are in there they're going up against MacArthur in the semi Sydney United have done it against Brisbane Row there was another team in there as well who I'm um, very close with is Peninsula Power as well they had an unbelievable run in there um, in the FFA Cup and just missed out 1-0 to Sydney United so for me it would be great to see a non-A-League team win the FFA Cup and hopefully it just puts something out to say Australia hurry up and sort out a second division and a few more tiers so we can get promotion and relegation we can get some accountability because there was teams alright might not be geared up financially but player-wise and quality-wise, there's a lot of good people and a lot of good players. And the more games we have in Australia that are at a competitive level, the better it is for the whole game and the bigger picture of Australian football in the future. 
Yes, thank you to our panel. And don't forget the Gegen Pod is on every Wednesday during the season. Make sure you subscribe and rate us five stars. We've got a huge week of content coming up on Optus Sport. Off the back of our World Cup chat, check out Tommy Orr's column on Thursday. You can see it on the Optus Sport app and website talking about what it's like in the months leading up to a World Cup. La Liga kicks off at 5am on Saturday morning with Valladolid versus Cadiz and don't miss Atletico versus Real, the Madrid derby at 5am Eastern time on Monday. We've got J-League. If you are listening on Wednesday, then Yokohama F. Marinos, Kevin Musket's team play tonight at 8pm against Kyoto Sanga or you can see them live at 3pm on Sunday against Consadole Sapporo. The Premier League starts on Saturday morning with a double at 5am Eastern, Aston Villa versus Southampton and Nottingham Forest versus Fulham to kickstart your weekend. And if you've been hanging out for the WSL to return, all six games are live and exclusive on Optus Sport starting 4.30am on Saturday morning with Arsenal against Brighton. Don't miss Liverpool, newly promoted against the champions, Sam Kerr's Chelsea, 2am Eastern on Monday. All of this live and on demand on the Optus Sport app. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri, and on behalf of Mark Schwartz, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges, thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pod. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.